Okay, well, we join with uh, Rick and welcome everybody out to the services and invite you to get your Bibles and follow along as we look together with uh, from the Word of the Lord. We'll trust that our time will be profitable, beneficial as we study our lesson uh, here, here this evening. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about uh, this word ichthus. It's a, a New Testament word. And you might have seen this little emblem, the fishy thing. And uh, uh, anyway, there, there, there was uh, sometimes people put it on the back of their bumpers. Uh, and of course, it has religious significance. It signifies Christians. Uh, li literally, the word ichthus is, uh, well, it's, a, it's the Greek word for fish. And uh, anyway, this little fishy thing, and, and uh, after the first century, there, I know somebody came up with the idea of this ichthus, and they sort of made an acronym about it. And if you don't know what an acronym is, uh, let me suggest and uh, talk about that. For instance, the word joy is an acronym. And uh, if you look at joy as an acronym, as you put Jesus first, the J stands for Jesus, and then you put others next, and you put yourself last. I mean, that's really the key to joy of living and uh, living in this world and find true joy is Jesus first, and put others next, and put yourself uh, last. And we keep that order, and we're going we're to have joy. I mean, that's, but that's an illustration of what we're talking about, uh, this whole idea of, uh, of an acronym. And uh, when, when you talk about ichthus in the first century, there were those those Greek letters, the first one is iota, and the one that looks like an X, that's the chai, and then the one that looks like an O with a little uh, line through it, that's uh, theos, uh, theta, uh, where we get the, the, the first letter of, of God, and then that uh, looks like a Y, or sometimes it's like a U, is epsilon, and then the last letter, sometimes if it's the last letter, it looks like that E, or sometimes it'll have the S, that is sigma. And they used it in the first century, or after the first century, uh, they got studying about things, and they looked at the word ichthus being a fish, and of course they made uh, significance about that. Uh, the I, or the epsilon, is Jesus. That's where we get the idea of Jesus, which in, in our language we, we use the word Jesus, in Spanish, Jesus. And then the chai is Christos, and that's where we get Christ, or, uh, uh, or Christos in, in the Greek. And then Theos, that's the idea of God. And so Jesus Christ, gods. And then that uh, Epsilon, that was uh, Weos, Weos, that is son. And then that last one, the Sigma, is Sotari, and that is Savior. Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. And so that was the significance that they looked at fish, ichthus, as an acronym, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And, of course, that was pretty significant, pretty special, because he is, of course, God's Son, and he is the Christ, and he is the Savior. And all that is certainly true and interesting as they made this term ichthus. And so they had the little fish symbol, and that was uh, kind of a code of those who were Christian because you had persecution against Christians, and, and they used these, this code and, and this fish thing to, uh, to do that. But it's kind of interesting, the etymology of that, because really this uh, ichthus is really symbolic of baptism. And uh, there's this fella in uh, the second century uh, Tertullian, 
Tertullian, and this is what he made a comment about ichthus, and this is quite interesting. But we, little fishes, after the example of our ichthus, Jesus Christ, are born in water. Now, you got, uh, oh, excuse me. You, you got people using this, and they really don't really understand the etymology of the whole thing. It's really uh, rooted in the whole idea of fish, because there were a lot of things that were associated with fish. You had several of the apostles. They were fishers of men. I mean, Jesus fed the multitudes with a few loaves and a few fishes. Uh, you have the idea of uh, Jesus after his resurrection, that he's eating fish with the apostles. And, and uh, anyway, so lots of things were associated with it. And another thing, uh, those who were baptized, uh, Baptism, of course, is described as an immersion, a burial. And if you go way back into history, you know, you, you had the idea of sprinkling and pouring. It, it started out, it was called clinical baptism. In other words, here's somebody who was really, really sick, and they, they didn't think they could immerse them. And so under these uh, 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 extreme situations, they would sprinkle or pour. And they called that baptism. They called it clinical baptism. And then they got studying about it and thinking, well, I mean, if people can be accepted with sprinkling or pouring, well, it's just a lot more convenient. But if you go back before this clinical baptism of sprinkling, uh, really the, the early churches in history, they would have baptistries and they actually call them fish ponds. And it all ties in with the whole idea that baptism is part of the plan of God. And so our denominational friends, they'll use this ichthus or this fishy uh, symbol, but they don't really fully understand what it means because it is certainly affirmed that we are born of water. And that's what we want to talk about and look at as we talk about ichthus, that we are indeed born of water. All right, let's begin there in John chapter 3 where we have the first occasion of uh, Jesus talking about being born of water. In John chapter 3, beginning verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Well, how, how would they have concluded that? How did Nicodemus conclude that? Well, he says, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. <laughs> That's the logical conclusion. Jesus performing all these miracles, not mere men can do that. You have to have some sort of connection and have to be from God. And uh, certainly he uh, was, uh, was certainly correct about that. That is the necessary implication of those that could perform miracles. And Jesus said, answered and said unto him, and so he's really answering kind of his thoughts, his thinking, not really anything that he said, but sort of his thinking about things. Jesus says, verily, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God, and then you're going to say, enter the kingdom of God. To see it is the idea of entering into it. Verse 4, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And so he's thinking physical things, just like babies are born uh, from their mother's womb. And, I mean, can you get back in your mom's womb and, and be born a second time? I mean, you talk about being born again. I just, that, that doesn't seem to make sense. Well, he's not talking about physical birth, but he is talking about a new birth. So he says in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water 
and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have to be born again. But he talks about being born of water and born of the Spirit. That is, the Word of God has to be planted in our heart, the Spirit-inspired Word, and so we're going to be born of Spirit, and we're going to be born of water, because baptism is going to be tied in with this new birth. In verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And that word must is it's necessary. You have to. Something that we ought to do. You, you've got to be born again. I mean, there's no getting around. If we're going to get to heaven, if we're going to be right in God's sight, we must be born again. And that's what Jesus said. It's an obligation. He says, the wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it came and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I mean, it's like, okay, we look out the wind. If you turn the blinds up and you look out, of course, they're pretty soundproof. You don't really hear the wind inside the building, but you look out and you see trees waving. Or you see leaves going across the parking lot. You're not seeing the wind. You're seeing the effects of the wind. You don't actually see wind moving, but you see it moving things. So you see the effects of wind. Well, that's the way it is about the Spirit working in the heart of an individual. We don't actually physically see it, but you see the effects when, it begin, when people begin thinking about their life. They're thinking about uh, salvation. They're thinking about the scheme of redemption. They think about the plan of God, about being born again, about being saved, about becoming a Christian. And you see the effects when people um, uh, seek out and, and desire and say, hey, you know, I want to be baptized. I want to obey the gospel. I, I, you know, I, I feel that I'm lost. I know that I'm lost. And I need, I need salvation in Christ Jesus. And so people move. They act. It's, We'll sing an invitation, and maybe somebody, the Spirit's moving in their heart, and they decide, yeah, tonight's the night that I'm going to obey the gospel, and we'll see the effects, but we didn't see the Spirit working in the heart of an individual, but you'll see the effects of it if somebody would come forward, and that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is moving in their heart. That is, as they're taught from the Scriptures. Now, Jesus says you must be born again. There's only one other time where we read about being born again, and that's in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 23. Peter says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we're going to be born of the word of God. The word of God is, the, is, is a key ingredient in our conversion, our salvation, is that that word has to be planted in our hearts, and for us to be born again. But no other time. You read the book of Acts, and you'll not find anywhere anybody's ever exhorted to be born again. But yet people are born again. Because the process of being born again is the same process of being reconciled to God. It's the same process of receiving salvation. It's the same process of being sanctified in Christ Jesus. It's the same process of becoming part of God's family. You, you have these different phrases that, that are talking about in our process of coming to God and establishing a relationship, a union with God, with these different phrases, being born again, being saved, being rescued, being redeemed, being reconciled, etc. Uh, but you'll not find anywhere in the book of Acts anybody's told to be born again, but they were born again because they were saved. They obeyed the gospel. Now, let's look about this whole idea of being born of the water born of the Spirit, from Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching here on the day of Pentecost. Uh, his sermons recorded, all the apostles actually preaching because they're preaching in different languages because you had 
people from all over the place. <clears throat> Some 15 nationalities are represented, uh, representative there uh, of different areas, as you read in Acts chapter 2. Peter's sermon is recorded, and he presents that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. And so he says in verse 36, therefore, that is in view of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ascension of Christ back on high. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, you killed the Son of God. You stand guilty as charged, and but God raised him from the dead. And he's Lord and Christ. He ascended back on high. In verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do about this? Is there anything we can do about it? I mean, we, we've killed the Son of God. God raised him from the dead. I mean, we, we stand guilty as charged. What, is there anything we can do about it? Well, thank the Lord there is. And so Peter tells them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he tells them to surely believe in the, in the Messiah, that Jesus is that Messiah. He, they're told to repent, and they're told to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. They're not told to be born again, but in doing what Peter says in verse 38, they would be born again. They would be born of the Spirit and of the water. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. 3,000 people are born again, being born of the Spirit, being born of water when they were baptized into Jesus Christ. They were baptized for the remission of sins. They were forgiven, therefore they were born anew in the family of God. They were adopted into God's family. I mean, all these things, they intertwine, they relate together, and baptism is an integral part in God's scheme of redemption. Now, what you have in denominations today, they, they say, well, you know, baptism, it's an outward sign of the inward grace. Baptism has nothing to do with salvation. You just pray the sinner's prayer, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You ask for forgiveness, you're saved. And then sometime later, well, you should be baptized. It's a good thing to do. And to show that you've been saved by being baptized as an outward sign of that inward grace working in your heart. Now, that's what I did the first time that I was baptized. I was studying, and uh, anyway, I really, I mean, I didn't go to church anywhere growing up, just a couple of times. Used to watch Billy Graham. Billy Graham just seemed like a sincere felon. You know, at the end of his sermon, you know, they'd call and they'd sing, Just As I Am, and, and people would come down and accept Christ as their personal Savior and have prayer. And that's what I had done. I been, hadn't been baptized, but I was reading about baptism. I thought, well, I should be baptized. But I thought I was already saved. Baptism really wasn't to, for forgiveness of sins, for the remission of sins, as Acts 2.38 says. It wasn't for me to be uh, born into the family of God. I was thinking I was already saved. And then I began uh, studying more, and Marshall Patton, he preached a lesson. And anyway, he, he talks about Romans chapter 8 there, that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. I remember him explaining that. And the Holy Spirit, the way he testifies, is through the Word. We read that in Acts, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, or Hebrews chapter 10. That the Holy Spirit testified and then quotes a passage of Scripture. That's how the Holy Spirit gives witness. 
And our spirit, that, that's, we know what we've done in our own heart. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we know what we've done in our own heart. And the Holy Spirit says, well, this is what you need to do to be saved. And if it, if it doesn't match up, well, then you're not a child of God. If you know what you did in your heart from your own spirit and it matches up, that's how you know that you're a child of God. And I got studying about that and I thought, hey, McKibben, you were baptized. You, you, you kind of thought you were already saved. And you, you, you were doing it because you knew the Lord taught it, but you, would, you really didn't do it for the right reason. Well, that got bugging me. I got thinking, well, if I didn't do it right, I need to go back and do it the right way. And so the next day I was at work and I kept studying about that and I asked to get off. And anyway, I contacted the, uh, some brethren and anyway, I was baptized again the correct way. That is taught in the Bible, being born of the water and of the Spirit. Well, anyway, but there you have. 3,000 people were born again. Doesn't say they were born again, but when you put the Bible together, yeah, they were born again. They were reconciled. Doesn't say they were reconciled, but we know they were reconciled because you put all these verses together. Didn't say they were adopted in God's family, but they, by necessary implication, were adopted into God's family. They were sanctified, etc., and that's what it means to be born again, born of water. Look at there in Acts chapter 8. You got another example of a conversion. You got the Ethiopian eunuch. He traveled like, I don't know, it's like a couple thousand miles. No, no, let me take that back. It's like 1,500 miles. It's like 20, 20 something hundred kilometers. It's around 1,500, 1,600 miles, depending what part of Ethiopia and all the way up to Jerusalem. 1,500 miles, that'd be like traveling from here to, uh, um, well, to, to Miami. Well, actually a little bit further than Miami. It'd be like going down to Key West. I mean, you're going down South Florida and all the way across the islands there and bridges and all that. Going from here to Key West, that, that's a long haul. And he traveled a long way, so a very religious man. And anyway, he's kind of studying, and the Holy Spirit, an angel involved in this conversion, but not directly upon the eunuch, but speaking to Philip, and Philip joins himself uh, to this man uh, at the chariot, and they're talking about Isaiah 53, and he says, well, is this guy, you know, is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? And that's where we pick up in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. The Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior, Jesus. You see, the, the, the whole idea of ichthus, that's who Jesus is. You, you, that's fundamental. You've got to understand who Jesus is if you're going to be saved. If you're going to be born again, you've got to understand about Jesus, that he's God's Son, that he's Savior, he's Redeemer. And so he preached it to him about Jesus. In verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came into certain water. Uh, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? How did he know anything about baptism? Well, because Peter, or excuse me, because Philip would have spoken about that, that you're going to have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. Yeah, you're going to have to be baptized. That, that the Great Commission lists the, the, the matter of being baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, verse 16. Go and teach all nations, or make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28, verse uh, 19. And so he says, well, well, here's some water. What would hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. 
you, so he's hearing the gospel, and he says, now, if, you're, if you fully believe with your heart, yeah, you could, you could be baptized. By necessary implication, he repents, he changes his mind, because now he wants to accept uh, the Son of God and turn away from Judaism to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And then in verse 37, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He confesses his faith. And then there's this last step, baptism. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. When did the eunuch rejoice? Well, it was after his baptism. It wasn't that he prayed the sinner's prayer, accepted Jesus as a personal Savior, and he's just rejoicing, and then he was baptized to show that he's been saved. No. He is baptized. He's born of the water and of the Spirit. And afterward we see his rejoicing because why? He was born again. Does it say anything about being born again in Acts chapter 8? No. But by implication, putting these verses together, yeah, he was born again. Was he reconciled to God? Yeah. Does it say it in Acts chapter 8? No. But we know that he was reconciled because you put all these verses together and he was reconciled. He was adopted in God's family. He became a child of God. He became a Christian, etc. All right, let's look at another passage. In the book of Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So here people hear the gospel, they believe, and they're baptized. They were being born again. Because baptism is a part of the plan of God. And if you notice there, you remember on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized the same day. You look at the eunuch, he was baptized that same moment. What happens in denominations? Oh, well, they get saved, and they'll just save up for the end of the month, and they'll have a big baptismal service, maybe at the end of the month, maybe two or three weeks, maybe at the end of the week, etc. They don't baptize people immediately. But what we see in the scriptures that people who are born again, when they decide to weigh the gospel, they do it immediately. You don't put it off and wait two or three weeks. Why? Because if it's essential, if it's necessary to salvation, you want salvation now. I remember I was in the Philippines one year. And it was kind of late in the evening. It was a little cool. I mean, not cold like it is here. But it was late in the evening, and uh, there was two or three that were going to be baptized, and they were talking about, well, we'll do that tomorrow. And I raised my hand, and I said, yeah. I said, uh, yeah, well, you're talking about waiting until tomorrow. Let me ask, if the Lord would come when the world came to an end, what would happen to these people if they died tonight? Or if they died, what would happen to them? Well, they thought about that. <laughs> I thought, well, no, I, I want to be right with God. I don't want to take the chance that maybe something happens to me, happens to me on the way home, and I die. They wanted to be saved. I said, okay, yeah, well, okay. So they started filling the baptistry, and anyway, they were baptized that evening. Why? Because that's the pattern that we see. If you want to be saved, you want to do it now. You don't want to put it off and wait. And say, oh, well, i got plenty of time. We don't know that. That's the problem. We don't know that. We think, oh, yeah, we got plenty of time. Maybe we do. Might be a good chance that we have plenty of time. But nobody's promised tomorrow. And that's why you see on the day of Pentecost they obey the gospel. They didn't say, well, you know, throughout the, uh, the next couple of months they were baptized. No, that very day. You have the eunuch. He was baptized that very day. 
And so that's what we see in the biblical pattern, the biblical order. If you want to be born again, you're going to have to be baptized because that's part of the plan of God. Look there in Acts chapter uh, 22. In Acts chapter 22, you actually have three accounts of the conversion of Saul. You've got Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, you've got the first historical account of the conversion of Saul. You remember Saul, he was uh, persecuting Christians. He's on his way to Damascus. He's got papers. He's got authority from the chief priest to persecute Christians, to arrest them, uh, etc. And then, bam, this light just comes upon him. And he says, well, who are you, Lord? He knew it was, had to be the Lord God. I mean, it has to be deity. And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. I mean, he's the persecutor of Jesus. That is, he was the persecutor of the body of Jesus, the church of Jesus. He was persecuting Christians, therefore he's persecuting the head of the church, that is Christ. And then Paul realized in that moment, I mean, it was like, kind of like a punch in the gut. It's like, I've been dead wrong. I've been persecuting Jesus, and here he is speaking to me from heaven. And he stops, and he acknowledges, he repents. He says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he says, well, you arise and go into the city, and it'll be told you what to do. And he goes in the city, and so he's fasting, he's praying, he's remorseful, he's down and out and sad because he's been persecuting, and finally Ananias comes and speaks to him. So he had become a believer in Jesus, he had uh, confessed his faith in Jesus. He had repented. And there's still something yet lacking in his life. And that's what we read in Acts chapter 22 when Ananias comes and speaks to him. In verse 16, he tells Saul, or who would, know, who would become known as Paul, And now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so there he of course, arose and was baptized. As you look in Acts chapter 9, he did exactly what the Lord told him to do, and that was to be baptized, because he had become a believer. He had repented. He had confessed his faith, but he hadn't been baptized. And he was told to rise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling the name of the Lord. Somebody said, now wait a minute. Are you saying baptism washes away sins? Yeah, because that's what the passage says. That's what washes away sins? No, that's not what. It's the blood of Christ. We know that from the book of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, the last part of the verse. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What washes away our sins? It's the blood of Jesus. Well, how, how do we explain then Acts 22 and verse 16? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. That's the when. The what is the blood of Christ. The when is when you obey the Lord's command to be born of the water to be baptized for the remission of sins. So you have perfect harmony in the scriptures. What washes away our sins? The blood of Christ. When are sins washed away? Well, for the alien sinner, when we're baptized into Christ. See how that just fits together perfectly? We have perfect harmony in the scriptures. And so that's exactly what he did. He arose and was baptized in obedience to the Lord, being born again. Does it say that he was born again? No, but by implication, that's the implication. He was born again. Because he obeyed the gospel. He became a Christian. Let's look at another passage in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. You, you see how the, the ichthus, the little fish, the fishy thing, ichthus, the fish, fish pond associated with the baptistry that were born of water? 
How did they come to that conclusion? Well, because it's just tied throughout the scriptures that it's part of the plan of God. Look at Romans 6, verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized in his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When does newness of life come? Somebody says, ah, oh, well, the newness of life comes when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you pray the sinner's prayer. That's when you find newness of life, when you accept Jesus as your personal Savior and you pray the, the sinner's prayer. Problem is, people talk about that, but they don't find it in the Scriptures. What we find in the Scriptures is what we find in, in these verses. When people believe and obey the gospel, when they're born of the Spirit, born of the water. You see, newness of life comes after the burial in baptism. Buried with him in baptism. He says, uh, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. You see, baptism is like unto a burial. It's like a tomb. I mean, do we take living people and just grab them up and take them and put them down in the cemetery, down under the ground and cover them over with dirt? No. You don't take living people. Take dead people. Yeah, you take dead people and bury them in, in the cemetery. And so our denominational friends get mixed up. I was mixed up about it one time. But when you study the Bible, you take a person that's dead in sin and that dies to sin and you bury them in the watery grave of baptism and then they rise to walk in the newness of life. Being born again, baptized for the remission of sin, baptized to have your sins washed away. You hear, hear somebody that's a dead sinner, now they're buried in water and they rise up. A resurrection, a spiritual resurrection to walk in newness of life. When does the life come? After baptism. I mean, it's so clear, it's so plain. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. So when we come out of the water the grave of baptism with with the right mind, when we obey the gospel, when we baptize, we're coming forth from the tomb. And, of course, being born again. So look at another passage. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, 26 and 27, it says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When do we put on Christ? Well, after we're baptized into Christ. You don't put on Christ before you're baptized. That would be contrary to what the verse says. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. You put on Christ when we're baptized into Christ. When we're born again. When we're born into the family of God to become a Christian. That's the divine order of things. That's why you have ichthus, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior... That's why the, the, the early, early Christians, they talked about the baptistry as a fish pond, that we are born of water. Why? Because baptism is in part of the plan of God. I didn't put all this in here. I, I'm just reading these verses. I was influenced. I was influenced by Billy Graham. Billy Graham says, no, you just, you just accept Christ as your personal Savior. Pray the sinner's prayer. That's what I did. I, I was sincere. I, I, that's what I did. I thought I, thought I was saved. One night, I, God, I, I'm just, I'm so wicked. I've done so many bad things. Please forgive me. Not thinking, okay, I was saved. I hadn't been baptized, so I wanted to be baptized, so I was baptized. But then, it's like I didn't do it for the right reason. I did it kind of as an outward sign of an inward grace. But that's not, that's not how the Bible describes it. 
I wasn't born in the family of God. I thought I was already in the family of God, and I was burying a dead man. I was burying a living man in the water of baptism, and that's just contrary to the scriptures. And that's where honesty and integrity has to come within your heart to say, well, no, i got to do exactly the way the Lord did. And that's why I took off work one afternoon. It was kind of funny. I went to my supervisor or manager, and I said, I need to, get, I need to go see this, see this fellow. Uh, who is it? I said, Rolling Tips, he's a carpenter. Did you hurt your back? <laughs> no, I didn't hurt my back. I just, I just need, to, I need to go. And anyway, uh, anyway, he let me off, and so I clocked out, and I went to see uh, Roland, and anyway, I was baptized. Again, the correct way that we're seeing in the scriptures. And then look there in 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Who formerly were disobedient, when once the long-suffering God waited in the day, long-suffering God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, uh, being prepared, by which, uh, by which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. Now, what, what do we have with Noah and, and the ark and all that? Well, Noah was in the old world. They got in the ark, and that water transferred them from the old world into the new world the world that then was they lived in everybody else drowned and died and then Noah because and through the water brought them into the new world the world that we now live in see that water transferred him from the old world into the new world the like figure whereto even baptism doth also now save us not to put away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean that baptism does also now save us? Sometimes people say, are you saying that baptism is our Savior? No, sir. No, ma'am. Baptism is not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. But baptism saves. It's, say, it's the same as saying faith. Saves. We have to have saving faith. Are you saying faith is our Savior? Nope, I'm not saying faith is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus the Christ. But Jesus our Savior says that we must have faith. Saving faith. We have to have saving faith. We have to have repentance. You see, we have to repent. I tell you, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Either we're going to turn or we will be lost. And so when he says the like figure we're into even baptism doth also now save us, it saves us in the same sense that faith saves us. That is, these are conditions that, that God, that Jesus has put forth in the scriptures for us to be saved. That's how we are saved. It's going to involve baptism. It's going to involve faith. It's going to involve repentance. It's going to involve confession. We read about all those steps. That we hear this message. And that we believe in Jesus, the Son of God. And that we're willing to repent. And yeah, we do confess our faith like the eunuch. And yeah, we're baptized. And we come up out of the watery grave of baptism. And our sins are forgiven. We, are, uh, we find forgiveness. We find reconciliation. We are born again. Born of water, Jesus says. So anytime you see the little fishy symbol, ichthus, well, know the real history behind it because it certainly teaches what the Bible teaches and that is baptism is a part of God's scheme of redemption. Well, maybe you're here and you've never been born again. You could be born again. So we ask that question, have you been born again? Now, you, you may have done some denominational plan. I, 
I, like I said, I, I, I did it. But I, I, you know, it's like, I kept studying. It's like, well, wait a minute, McKinley, you, 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 Yeah, you were baptized, but you didn't do it really for the right reason. And I tell you, that weighed heavy on my mind because I knew one thing for sure. I wanted to be saved, and I didn't want to be lost. I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to be lost in eternity. That's why I took off work the next day when I finally come to the realization that I hadn't done it the right way. Because I wanted to do it the right way. And that afternoon, back on September 13th, 1977, I did it the right way. And I know for sure that I did it the right way because I know what I did in my spirit and I know what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible teaches is exactly what I did that second time is just do it like God says. If you're here and you need to be baptized, you need to be born again, you let us know. And if you want to be, uh, be saved, you want to be born again, come and let us know if we can help you in any way. While together.